from the first letter to the church at Corinth. We read in chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual, sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of prostitutes? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own body, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the very word of our God. Sorry, I'm just getting over a cold, and so I tend to dry out a bit. <clears throat> um, so since it has been since last year that I was here, um, but even before that, it was four weeks before we were in, or since we've been in 1 Corinthians, I just kind of want to remind you where we're at. So 1 Corinthians um, we're titled this series, Since You Asked, because Paul seems to be answering these different questions. What's going on is there's a dialogue between the church at Corinth and, and Paul. And so the, the, the messages are going back and forth. They write letters back and forth. At the beginning, it says it's been recorded to me by Chloe's people. So some people have come and talked to Paul. He's getting information about what's going on in Corinth different ways. And so he's addressing different topics. And so where we're at at the end of chapter six, is actually he's finishing what he started in verse in chapter five. Remember how ver chapter five began? Um, it said, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans for a man has his father's wife. Well, what we're looking at this week at the end of chapter six is we're bringing that thought to a close. We're bringing it all back together. So he, he had announced the, the sin that was going on and then he warned him about the influence of tolerating sin. Um, remember, I don't know if you remember, I talked about it, I said, you can get past the ick factor. You know, you can kind of muscle past the, ooh, this is gross, to get to the point where we'll just tolerate it, even though I don't like it. And then after you tolerate it for a while, it kind of becomes, it's just okay. And, and if you're not careful, you can wind up where the Corinthians were, which is, we're celebrating this. Isn't this great? This man has his, his uh, stepmother. This is wonderful. Um, that's not a good place to be. That was what Paul warned us about was that danger of tolerating sin and how it goes. The first part of chapter six then was about judging. 
And, and Paul says, look, we're not supposed to judge people inside the church or outside the church. That's God's business. We're to judge ourselves. We're, we're to keep an eye on each other. So this man that you're tolerating should be put out. So he, he gives us a discussion about judging and, and what happens then. Um, so this last part then is where it, it, it kind of sums all of those thoughts up. He brings that whole thing together. And, um, and so that's what we're going to see. What, the reason I say this, this is kind of the end of the thought also is because chapter 7 begins with the phrase, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. That's a clue saying, okay, we're done with that. Now let's talk about this. Um, that's not to say forget everything that came before. He's going to begin to apply it, but he's, he's switching gears then. So next week we'll, we'll switch gears a little bit, although it still has to do with, with human bodies and sexual relations and those kind of things. So here's how this begins. Um, it, it's kind of confused me. I don't know if it confused you. It kind of confused me for a bit. Um, he starts by saying, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I won't be dominated by anything. Food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food and God will destroy them both, one and the other. The body is not meant, oh yeah, so, so he says these phrases. Is he saying that these are true? Is this him making statements and saying, all things are lawful for me? Is that in, in and of itself true? Because he says it twice. We know just from the context that can't be right. Because in the, the section just before this, what he said was he listed a bunch of sins. Uh, don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, which we're going to talk about, nor idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers will inherit the kingdom of God. Are those things legal? Are those things lawful for him? No, so he can't mean that. That can't be Paul saying, well, you know, you're under grace, not law, so you can do whatever you want. That was a first century misapplication of the doctrine of grace. May we sin more that grace may abound. And Paul's response is, may it never be. It's, it's the strongest, absolutely not. So that's a misunderstanding. So what I think is going on here is I think the ESV is correct to put those in, in quotation marks. I think what he's doing is he's looking at how the Corinthians were, are processing this. What's their slogans that they're saying? Well, all things are lawful for me. And then Paul begins to kind of kick the idea around. Yeah, but not everything's good. Well, all things are lawful to me. Yeah, but you shouldn't be dominated by these things. So he's kind of playing with those. Well, what about the other phrase? He says, for food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is meant for food. Is that true? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's how it works. Your stomach does not produce red blood cells. It does not process oxygen. You eat, the food goes into your stomach, your stomach breaks it down, passes it onto the intestines, which extract all the nutrients. That's what the stomach does. For food, do we, do we put food on our eyes? Well, other than a spa with, you know, like cucumber slices or something. But I mean, that's, that's not what we do with food. We, we get food so that we can eat it. So that's a true statement. The stomach is for food and food is for stomach. The problem is it's a wrong attitude. It, it's not quite the right attitude because what he says after that is um, that the Lord God will destroy them both. Is that true? No, it's actually not. <laughs> that kind of surprised me. Think of all the times when Paul talks about the coming of the kingdom. What does he describe it as? The wedding feast of the lamb. We're going to have this large table. This, we're going to gather to feast. 
So, so Jesus is talking about this wedding feast of the Lamb. Yeah, but that's, that's imagery, Tim. I mean, is that really concrete? Well, Jesus himself, at the end of Luke, he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He will eat it again after he has suffered. So the stomach is, is the food is still part of, of the kingdom of God. And then what about the stomach? Is the stomach going to be erased in a resurrection? Well, there's so many times when Jesus asked for food or when he would raise somebody from the dead and he would say, feed them. And it wasn't because, you know, the little girl who had died for an hour before is not starving to death. It was, I want to demonstrate to you that she's not a spirit, that she's a physical being, so give her something to eat. And so Jesus himself at the end of Luke also says, uh, when he meets with the disciples, it says, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. If the stomach is destroyed and this is Jesus resurrected body, where'd the fish go? He ate it because that's what it's like. So God is not gonna destroy food and the body in the resurrection, this is my theory, and I can't quite prove it, but I just kind of think it's right, is we will not eat from need. We won't eat because we're starving or because we're lacking or anything. We'll eat because it is a joyous celebration. So I don't think that means that food and the stomach are going away. Again, what's wrong is the attitude. And, and that's kind of what is going to clue us into the, the rest of this verse, is he's talking about, well, you know, the, the natural body just has these appetites these desires these needs and and the material body is it doesn't matter it's you know it's going away so just do whatever it needs whatever you know whatever comes to it just feed it and that's i've talked about this before but i just got to remind you that's the greek philosophy of human being is we are two things we are spirit and body the real us is the spirit that's the true us us the the physical body uh, it's just this imperfect corrupt thing that we're going to eventually escape and so two schools of thought either indulge it it doesn't matter your body has these appetites you just feed it you just give it whatever it wants the important part is that you're happy or we don't want to be contaminated by the body so we got to beat it into submission we've got to control it and, and oppress it and everything those were the kind of two schools of thought and i think it sounds like they bought into that by the way it's still kind of with us this today in uh, Empire Strikes Back. What did Yoda say? He said, luminous beings are we. And then he pinches Luke and he says, not this crude matter. So he's, he's got that same idea that what's true about us is that we're spirit. Well, society and even George Lucas himself have progressed since then to a more enlightened state that we are today. And I think the danger for us today is not us thinking that the body is yucky and we'll just get rid of it and we're really you know spiritual beings there's probably some parts of different religion that, that have that approach the attitude today is more all you are is body that's all you are you have no spirit there is no more immaterial portion of you and so this what you wind up it's interesting you wind up at the same location though which is either since all you are is body well, you might as well just use that thing for your enjoyment. What's most important is that you're happy. If you're just a bag of bubbling chemicals and these things make you feel better, then just do those things. Your biology doesn't matter. 
You can be whatever you want to be. I am a Dalmatian. My chosen pronoun is Ralph. That's who I am now because that's who I want to be. It doesn't matter what my physical body does. Or you can wind in the other school, which is, boy, you know, you've only got as long as that body lasts and then you're gone. So boy, you better train that thing. You better spend as much time as you can feeding it only the best foods, organic, locally sourced, hand-picked food, only the best, low fat, high carbs or low carbs, high fat, or whatever it is this week that is most popular. That's what you should do to your body and fitness, uh, X90, CrossFit, uh, all of this stuff. Boy, you better get that body trained because you want it to last as long as possible. So you wind up with basically the same Greek philosophies, right? And that comes from the idea that we are just material beings. Recently, uh, a Stanford University neurologist named Robert Sapolsky, yeah, Sapolsky, uh, he was a MacArthur Genius Grant Award winner. Uh, he spent 40 years studying humans and other primates. And he has arrived at the conclusion that virtually all human behavior is far beyond our conscious control. We are simply a bag of chemicals. And all that happens is we have a stimulus, the chemicals respond, and we, re re we react. And so his application of it is the world is really screwed up and made much, much more unfair by the fact that we reward people and punish people for things that they have no control over. We've got no free will. Stop attributing stuff to us that isn't there. So don't punish people for doing bad and don't praise people for doing good. They just responded. So you get that idea? This, we're, just, we're just basically chemicals and whatever happens that week. That's kind of the attitude that had crept into Corinth is the body is, you know, the stomach is for food, food's for the stomach, man. Yeah, he's sleeping with his stepmother, no big deal. He's just indulging the body. So that's where I think he's going with this. But where does Paul say? Right after he, he kind of kicks their ideas around a little bit, he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality for the Lord, but for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. So despite the, the Greco-Roman way of understanding what the body and soul was or the modernist materialist way of understanding the body and soul, there is a third way, the Christian way to understand the body. And that's what Paul is talking about here. That's why he says the body is not meant for sexual immorality. The stomach is meant for food, food's meant for the stomach, but your body is not a toy you play with. It is not something that you use to indulge every whim that you have. It is meant for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. That really undoes both uh, approaches to what our body is. It is not a corrupt thing that we're gonna shed and eventually be rid of. The Lord has a body. Jesus took on a physical body. The eternally begotten son of God added to himself a human nature, which included a physical body. And he still got it. <laughs> He's still in heaven with that same physical body. He was raised in it. So the, the physical body doesn't, it, it's not that it doesn't matter. And it's not all there is. There's more to it than that. And so we're not to be slaved, enslaved by that. There's an important phrase he has there, the, the physical or the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Meant for. There is a purpose for your body. God invented your body. He gave you a body for a purpose and he meant it for a reason. That word meant is there's an intention there. So when Jesus takes on a physical body, 
when he, he adds to his infinity as, as a divine God, the, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, when he adds to himself human nature, he did it for a purpose. He did it for a reason. He gave us a physical body for a reason. And so that is the idea that Paul is kind of unpacking here. He wants the Corinthians to say, look, you're, you're thinking like your culture. That's why I brought up our materialist point of view is we don't want to let that seep into us. We've got to be aware this is how the world is acting. It's what you see every time you watch a movie, television, is just the assumption that there is nothing more. That all we are is our physical bodies. We have to be careful to say, what does the scripture say? Well, the scripture says that we're that plus, we're more than that. And so that's where Paul goes next in, in uh, verses 14, the first half of 15, he talks about the permanence of our bodies. Verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So Jesus didn't take on a human body, suffer, die, and then was buried and then rose spiritually, showing that we have to slough off the human body. He was raised in that exact same human body, that, that same physical body in which he died. And you get that from the end of John's gospel. John said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw that it was the Lord. His physical body was standing before him. To Thomas, when Thomas says, I will not believe, he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place your hand in my side. I still bear the wounds. So, so the God who raised the Lord, who, who raised up that same physical body, he's going to do that with you too. He's going to raise that same physical body. And so what, what we do in our body actually matters. It actually does have an impact. It's, it's something that, that we will carry with us. And so that's why in verse 15, he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? We often, I think, think just assume spiritually our, our spirit, our mind is, a, is part of Christ, is, is the body of Christ. Physically, your body is a member of Christ as well. So that's why when we had COVID, when we were meeting online, I kept saying, this is not perfect. This is not desirable. This is not the best way to meet. It's temporary because we were paying attention to our bodies. But God created us in three dimensions and he intends us to be physically present together because it's not just our mind that's part of the body of Christ. It's not just our spirit. It's our physicality as well. So you can see Paul is beginning to elevate this idea of our bodies to a place far above what the Corinthians were believing. It's far more important than they thought it was. And so now he says, if that's true, then let's deal with this issue of sexual sin, the second part of 15 through 18. He says, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. In other words, your body is not incidental. It is crucial to who you are. It is part of who you are as a Christian. It belongs to Christ. He died to redeem that body as well as your soul and your mind and your will and emotions. Will you take part of that and unite it in sexual sin and say, that's okay? Is there, which portion of you can you take away from Jesus Christ and indulge in something else and say, that's all right? I think it's okay that in this one area, I am really super greedy. I think that's okay. I'm thinking, I think Jesus is all right with that. It doesn't work that way. So you can't take what belongs to Jesus and then mix it with a prostitute. Um, he says, remember that he said, our bodies have a purpose. 
We were meant for something. In verse 13, he reminds us that they're included in that covenant with Jesus. Verse 15, our bodies belong to Christ. And that we will be raised in that physical body. Verse 14, therefore, if those things are true, he says you can't take what Jesus has purchased and use it for sinful activity. You can't do that. That's, that's not how it works. And here's the reason, verse 16, he says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. So in other words, there is something unique about sexual intercourse that is damaging to the body when done improperly. If you, if you join with a prostitute, if you join with somebody outside the bonds of covenant marriage, there is something happening there. Um, there was an error a while ago that said the first person that you had sex with was the person you were married to for eternity um, because of this. I think that's a horrible misapplication of this verse because what is the, one of the exceptions that Jesus gave for um, no divorce? What's one of the grounds for divorce? Adultery. If you have sex with a prostitute, you have committed adultery. It's already broken the marriage covenant. That isn't marriage, that's the opposite of marriage. So what does he mean then that you are one body, the two shall become one flesh? Well, it doesn't mean the same thing that it means in a marriage covenant, it means something different. And we'll see that in a moment. So verse 17, he says, but, um, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So if you join with a prostitute, you're one body with her, but if you join with the Lord, you're one spirit. So does that just disprove everything I just said about the physical body? Well, no, because in verse 15, he said, do you not know that your bodies are Christ as well? What he's doing is he's completing the picture. He's saying not only are you united physically, but you're also united spiritually with the Lord. So then what's the application of that? What should you do? Verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Flee it. Not tolerate it, not say it's icky. Flee it. We have to flee it because it's a live temptation. It is something that will pursue us. We are built physically and sexuality is so rooted in us, it is so deep in us that it has a real strong power. That's why one of the greatest things on the internet is pornography because it has such a draw. And I don't mean great as in positive, well done. I'm talking about just making money. It's pornography because human beings are primarily, that's a, a deep drive in us is sexuality. And that's why Paul is having to deal with it. That's why he warns us flee immorality sexual immorality. It's something that we have to avoid. It's something that we have to fight off. It's something that we have to be aware of and that we have to wrestle against. It's, all, it's one of those wolves outside the door that's always coming back. It's something we have to be on, on guard for. So this is what Paul means when he says that the prostitute is, is uh, the person who sleeps with the prostitute is, is, becomes one body. It's what he says at the end of verse 18. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So when you join in sexual union with somebody, your body is involved in a very unique way. But doesn't he just kind of overstate the matter here? Every other sin is outside the body? What about drunkenness? Drunkenness is specifically in the body. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely in the body. What about lust? Lust is inside the body. It's you desiring something else or greed. Don't these things happen inside the body as well? 
Well, one of the answers that people came up with was, well, body here is not physical body, but it's the body of Christ. It's the church. So if you sin, uh, um, every other sin you commit is outside the church, but this is inside the church. I really don't buy that. <laughs> it's horrible. I think we have shifted uh, metaphors without warrant at this point. This is way too early to talk about the body as the body of Christ. I don't, I don't think that helps. Actually, what I think is going on is, is the answer is right in front of us. We just didn't see it. The two shall become one flesh. That's why sexual sin happens inside the body in a unique way that's not like greed. You can be drunk alone or in a group. You could be a bunch of drunkards get together and lay in the street and drink. You can lust at home alone in front of the computer or you can lust in a group of guys on the street corner when an attractive person walks past. You can be greedy in the quiet of your own home, in your heart, alone by yourself, watching one of those TV shopping networks, or you could be part of a corporate board deciding how to steal from one of your competitors. You can be greedy in those ways. When you commit sexual sin, having sex outside the bonds of covenant marriage, you can't do that alone. That must be done between two people. That's, that's what constituted the sin. That's why I think they become one flesh is an issue. They become one flesh in that act. And it happens to your body. You're changing your flesh. You're doing something to your flesh. And so when that happens, the unit of the body that Jesus has bought and will raise for eternity has now been violated in a way that, that greed and other things don't. Um, so don't make it too absolute, but, but we don't want to push it too far anyway. So then what is the proper use of the body then? What am I supposed to do with this thing? I'm going to carry it around for a long time. What's, what am I supposed to do with it? Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So here it is. We have the seal of God in us. His, his stamp of ownership is on us. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit. And he's filled us in our physical bodies with our Holy Spirit. This always cracks me up. Think about um, Elizabeth, Jonathan's mom, or Jonathan, um, uh, John the Baptist's mom, right? She's pregnant. And when Mary comes, the baby in her is filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the, the voice of the mom of his Savior, and the baby gets excited. So she's filled with the Holy Spirit with a being who's filled with the Holy Spirit. It, because it's a physical thing. It's not just like some aura around us. It's not the force. I'm sorry, Yoda, but it's not the force. You know, this, this thing that's created by all living creatures and it's, it permeates everybody. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And it's that mark on us. It's the mark of who we are. Now, this verse is often used to talk about eating healthy. You got to eat right. You got to exercise because your body's a temple of the Lord. And boy, if you're overweight or you're, you're um, uh, unfit or something, that you're violating this verse. That has nothing to do with this verse. It's more important how you use what you've got. Because remember what Jesus said when he overturned the tables and the, he, he goes into the outer court of the temple and he finds it's turned into a, a crooked market. They're selling stuff and they're trading at, uh, changing money at crooked rates. And what does he do? The zeal for your house will consume me is the verse that's quoted and he flips the tables. So how are you taking care of your temple? How jealous are you for your temple? Not just the, 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 you know, being fit and, and healthy and everything. Yeah, you should eat well and you should exercise. That's a good thing to do. I'm not complaining about that. But what Paul's applying to it here is, is sexual immorality. 
How are you using the body that you've been given? Have you, do you recognize that this is God's temple? This is something that he's put in me, or his spirit is, is in me, and I have to treat this with respect. Has the zeal for his house consumed me? Will I care for this? Will I cater to or cater what's going in? Will I curate what's going in there? Will I keep it clean? Will I protect it? That, that's the more important thing. And here's where he goes at the end of verse 19 and 20, the beginning of 20. For you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Your body does no longer belong to you. It is not your plaything. It is not your toy. It is not something that you either indulge or discipline. It is a something that God has given you. He's filled it with his Holy Spirit, and he has bought it at a price. And what was that price? Jesus took on a body like yours. He lived the perfect life we didn't. He died the death that we deserved, and then he rose again. That purchased that body of yours. The ownership title has been transferred. So it's not your body. You don't get to indulge it that way. You don't get to say, well, you know, mother-in-law or stepmother, you know, she's kind of hot, you know, what's the big deal? That, that's not your body to use that way. You have to take better care of it. It belongs to the Lord. And so where does he, where does he go with all this? Where does all this come to? So glorify God in your body. Wow. Glorify God in my body? I, I thought I did that by, I'm sorry, John Piper, by delighting in him. Well, yeah, you do. You glorify him by finding him most delightful. But you also do that in a physical body. What you do is not just spiritual. It is, it is physical as well. It, it happens how we do our things. So that's why we gather on a Sunday together to worship, is we're carrying our temples together. We're hauling these bodies that belong to the Lord together, as he's commanded us, and we're worshiping him. That's why we serve. We went over to the Carlson's house and, and cleaned up their place and moved stuff around as we were using the physical body that we've been given to go serve somebody else. That's how you glorify God in your body is you use it for his purposes, recognizing that his ownership of it, it's his stamp on it. It is his spirit who sealed it. So Lord, how do you want me to use this body? Where do you want me to be at any given time? How should I behave? How should I perform? What should I do? So flee sexual, sexual immorality. That's the application that he's using here. It, it, it's, it's something that we have to run away from. And it's because though our spirits are made new, our bodies have not yet been redeemed. Did anybody, the moment they believe, turn into a different physical person? I looked pretty much the same before and after. We haven't been redeemed physically yet. That's coming. That's something in the future. And so what's going on now is our spirits are made new. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We still have this body. It has been purchased by the Lord. It hasn't been renewed yet. And we, it still has tendencies to head in bad directions. So flee sexual immorality. We're also told flee idolatry. There's plenty of things that we have to flee. Don't let your body tell you how it's going to work. You have to bring it into submission. You have to say, no, you belong to the Lord now. He hasn't redeemed you yet. He hasn't purchased you. He hasn't made you new yet. He has purchased you, but he hasn't made you new yet. But that day is coming because the Lord, who, or the God who raised the Lord will raise our bodies as well. So where we're going to go next week is, is like I said, it shifts gears. It's a new section now concerning the matters about which you wrote. We're not forgetting everything we learned here. We're remembering this elevated Christian perspective on what the body is. 
which is superior to the Greco-Roman understanding. It's superior to our materialist understanding today. It's, it's a higher calling, and we're going to apply that in different ways. So that's where we're going to go next week. Um, what we'll probably do, though, is we'll probably do the first half of chapter seven. And then I think that's the right time to break and say, okay, now let's take a, a deep dive. Let's look at the whole Bible's view of marriage. Uh, because Paul has some very specific things to say about marriage in the next section. He's kind of hinted at it here. So I think after the first half of seven, we'll, we'll do a, another one of those deep dives where we'll stop and we'll say, what does the Bible say about marriage? What is marriage? How does that work? What isn't it? What, what is it should be? And so that, that's the plan for the next couple of weeks, I believe. So with that, let me close us in prayer and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Lord, you have placed a rather large calling on our bodies. Um, and Lord, many of our appetites have been changed and modified and made new. Some of them are still desiring incorrect things. And so Lord, you've given us a renewed mind a renewed heart. You've sealed us with your Holy Spirit. And Paul reminds us to keep our bodies in check, to, to train them to follow the Lord. And so, Lord, your demand at the end of this, this chapter, glorify God in your bodies. Lord, that's a huge demand. And we're not sure how always to do that best. Would you show us how we may glorify you with our physicality? By serving by being present with people, by physically being in front of folks, by using our bodies in the most godly, most efficient ways, by using our time well, the resources, all of those things, Lord, help us to do that because we want to glorify God in all that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.